Hello and welcome to another edition of the Purple Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and I have with me, as always, our co-host, Grant McGalliard. Grant, it is game week yet again. Uh, a strange thing to say for 2020, but here we are, TCU's third game of the season against Kansas State. How are you feeling? I am feeling great, Parker. Uh any game week is a good game week, even if the Kansas State game is always one that kind of weirds me out pretty much every single time. Do you, do you kind of get that sense? I, I do. In my preview, I went back and looked. I didn't realize, one, TC was tied 4-4 four, four and four with Kansas State, and that five of those eight matchups have been decided by one score. Um, so some profoundly weird TCU Kansas State games uh, over the last couple of years, which is, is crazy because, uh, you know, like – in 2014 and 2015, they had like barn burners, like like mm-hmm. 70 point games, TCU and Kansas State. And then the last two years have just been these like paltry kind of man ball defensive battles. So really, really interesting uh, overall there for sure. Yeah, and that has, I mean, we're not quite watching into the preview just yet, but that has like translated through the Bill Snyder to Chris Kleiman era. I mean, I know we've only had one year with Kleiman at Kansas State, but uh, that was kind of the same game last year, kind of that weird man ball, strange boring type of game uh and and we'll talk about it i don't necessarily expect that this time but i do expect it to be deeply deeply weird i totally agree and honestly tc football this year i think just every game is going to be in the 30s and odd is probably what's going to happen so <laughs> which is better than what it was last year which was like in the late teens and odd <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. And- <laughs> i would much rather <laughs> score 33 points and be weird than be score 11 points and be boring you know um, yeah, I take yeah, that back. If, I would rather score 11 points every time. That sounds hilarious. So, <laughs> Exactly 11. No more, no less. No, exactly. Because that's, that's three field goals, two safeties. That's football as God intended. That's like 1919 football. That's three field goals, one safety, Matt Boy. What'd I say? Two safeties. Oh, well, yeah, it's, you know, six and one, half dozen together. <laughs> Uh, well, before we dive into the preview, Grant, let's, uh, let, there's a lot going on in the Big 12. There's a lot going on in the world. Uh, what, what do we want to talk about before we get to our game? I, good old Gary uh, gave a quote earlier this week. Uh, I think it was on the Big 12 coaches call, and Max Olson tweeted it out from The Athletic. And this is kind of a grander Big 12 scale question, but I'm going to read you Gary's quote. It really bothers me that we've based everything – that whether our league is good or bad or not on whether Oklahoma and Texas are good. To be honest with you, we have a lot of good football teams and we always have had a lot of good football teams. I don't know why Gary felt compelled to say that. I guess it's because Oklahoma's 0-2 in conference, Texas is 1-1 and just lost to TCU. But it just feels like this, it maybe isn't the year to make that statement because I don't think there is – an elite team in the big 12. Do, do you agree with Gary as a whole? And why do you think he made that statement this yes. week? I, I have multiple things to say on these. And, and, and the first thing I have to say, I think, I think our friend Shehan will be very, very happy about um, which teams are relevant is like the most boring way to look at and watch college football. Like, yes, who, you know, who, whose fan base has the most Twitter impressions or like, send all of that straight to the pit of hell. Like college football is fun and weird. And the increasing um, uh, polarization of college football between the haves and the haves nots is like this deeply depressing kind of stale corporate college football entity. And the more and more that we focus on the college football playoff, the more and more we give something fun, American, weird, and strange over to the suits. And so one, I want to say this whole discussion is annoying because I don't want the suits to own college football, um, especially not any more than they do now. But I will say my whole question on this, the guiding heuristic for me is 2014. Sorry, everyone, trigger warning, we're going there. If that is Texas and Oklahoma, vying with Ohio State for a place in the, big, uh, in the college football playoff. Is there any doubt in your mind that one of them would have been in? I, I don't – no, probably not. I, I, listen, I made my opinion clear on this in the piece I wrote this morning, and Dalton, uh, our friend Dalton Goodyear called me out on it on Twitter, but I think Baylor probably should have actually gotten in. But, but I agree. If Baylor was Oklahoma or Texas with that resume, they would have gotten in the playoff. I agree. And so I, I think that's one way to think about it. I do think that um, it is just kind of the balance of power in the Big 12 right now is so weird because it's so concentrated. 
Um, and so you have, you know, the, the largest, potentially the most profitable team who struggled the last decade and, and been mostly irrelevant, but so much media attention on them because they are the largest fan base. We're a clicks-based industry. I said, we're, I'm not a journalist. Screw all those people. They're a click-based industry. Yeah, we're not, we're not journalists. <laughs> um, and so I do think that um, just the balance of power in the Big 12 is super weird. I, I do think that it's not as drastic as Gary says. I do think that the losing to Sunbelt teams is not a good way to um, prove that you're a good team. I think there was some smart SEC stuff where they said, hey, if Mississippi State loses to Arkansas, at least they didn't lose to Arkansas State. Uh, and so there's some right. gamesmanship there that the Big 12 was not exactly strategic in. Um, and so, uh, yeah, yeah, I think that if, if Oklahoma well, and Texas aren't good, you're, you're not going to the playoff unless you're undefeated and winning by 100. Like that's just not happening. Uh, and well, so, like, well, I mean, you could you could say it's gamesmanship, but also maybe just don't lose to those teams. Like I know what you're saying. Like, okay, Arkansas State, like, like a, a really bad SEC team is worse than some G5 teams. But when a Big 12 team loses to a G5 team, it's like, hey, man, maybe just win the game. Yeah, like, we can laugh at Kansas all the time for losing to Coastal Carolina every year. I feel like that game has taken place like eight of the last ten seasons. But they always lose to Coastal Carolina. But they do, um, yeah. It's really, really weird. But uh, yeah, I, I agree. They, they probably should have scheduled better, but also they should have won those games. So I, I agree with that. I think I think it is a little bit of like if you you know you win games, you don't have to. Uh, it, it's kind of like when like Baker Mayfield was super annoying in two thousand. What was that? Eighteen? No, uh, 17. seventeen. Uh, well, his entire life, but uh, to TC fans <laughs> particularly in two thousand seventeen. Where it's just like, look, I hate it. I wish he wasn't doing that. He's super annoying. But if you can't beat him, what are you going to do about it? Yeah, you know man. I mean? Like, yeah. Well, yeah. And, and, and I'll, I'll say this. As far as the whole debate goes, I, I look for a piece that I wrote for Frogs Award. For the life of me, I can't find it. But it was actually in response to an Ian Boyd tweet about um, Texas needed to be good to kind of buoy the B12. And I looked at that. And it depends on how you evaluate conferences. And, and while I agree that this is a really dumb and annoying debate, Gary started it, so he did. here we are. Um, we the Big Twelve has been in the college football playoff all uh, every year except one, right? Yes. I'm trying to do the math in my head. I think Oklahoma's been in every year since. Uh, or did they miss one year? I can't believe we, I'm struggling on this, but anyway. Um, so it's not like it's hurt the Big Twelve in getting in the playoff. We've always had a team. It just happens to have always been Oklahoma, but that's because. Lincoln Riley's a really good coach, and Bob Stutes recruited really well, and the match just kind of worked out in their favor. I, there, it's not a problem if you have one really, really good team that is dominating because, well, guess what? That's a good team in your conference that is dominating. And it doesn't matter if it's Oklahoma or Texas. If, if Kansas State had gone, you know, 11-1 four seasons in a row, I'm sure they probably would have made a college football playoff, but they didn't. If West Virginia or Texas Tech had done that, they probably would have cracked the playoff, but they didn't. So – that's just kind of the landscape is, yeah, there are, there's the richest program in college football with a ton of fans that has been nine and four for the last five seasons. And then there's Oklahoma, who's really, really good and also a major program. So that's just kind of how it happens to be. I don't think it's a value judgment on the conference. I just think that that's just kind of how it's happened. And if Gary's mad about this year, man, there's just not an elite team in the conference. Oklahoma State's good. They're undefeated so far, but I don't think they're one of the top four teams in the country. So it's just kind of how it shook out. Yeah, I, I don't um I don't like ever schedule tweets. I suppose that's something someone could do to you know optimize their time, but whatever. Uh, but you know, sometimes someone will like send something that's a scheduled tweet and look back and be like five seconds later, like, whoops, shouldn't have sent that. Like it did not apply. Right. That this comment from Gary almost almost feels like a scheduled tweet from like 2018, where he's like, Okay, yeah. Justin Rogers is gonna come in. He's going to start 2019 and 2020. We're going to be so good. And man, I just got to, I just got to drum the PR machine. Like it feels a little bit like it's a scheduled tweet from 2018. He just forgot to delete. I, and I know Gary doesn't schedule tweets because the hours that he tweets calling all frogs, uh, very, <laughs> it's, it's like 3 a.m. one day. It is like Tuesday at eight. It, it's, 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 it changes every time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, are there any other, Major college football storylines want to talk about them. I, mean, I guess Big Ten, Pac-12 are back in. They're back in the rankings, trying to start back up practices. But uh, I mean, again, I'm the only college football analyst on record who said that Ohio State was going to make the college football playoff this year. I, I just there was no way that the playoff was I'm happening. I'm sure that's not true. 
and Ohio State was in it. There's, there's, no, there's no way that, that, that the playoff was happening and Ohio State wasn't going to be a part of it. So, um, yeah, I think that uh, I'm excited for the student athletes. I think there are a lot of second-order concerns about eligibility and the transfer market next year, for instance, yep. that are going to be um, a damn disaster uh, and, and potentially induce like large structural reform just because the logistical reality of managing all of these moving pieces is going gonna, gonna to get away from the NCAA's particular brand of centralized but not centralized management. Um, so I'm not worried about that in season though. Uh, I, I'm happy athletes are going to play. Um, I'm happy they let, you know, like Rashad Bateman at, at Minnesota seems to be able to unsign from his agent and get back in mm -hmm. and play this fall and work on his draft stock. So again, I want to focus on the student athletes. I think they get to do what they love. They get to do what they're good at. And, and that is a good thing because we have found ways to do it safely and take precautions and, and yada yada. So other than those things being back, I don't have too much comment other than just say like more football, given that we have seen that, you know, things aren't going to go to hell for playing a football game uh, is good. And it also gives us more Pac-12 after dark opportunities, which is really, you know, my oh, no, no, it's uh, it's, it's Pac-12 after oh. pancakes now, excuse me. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. They had the kickoff. That's yeah. right. Pac-12 and, and uh, mimosas. Although you can drink a mimosa at 11 p.m., and I, I probably wouldn't judge you. Um, <laughs> Parker, I'm going to spring this question on you just because I was thinking about it. And now that people are, or a lot of teams are playing and, and we've kind of had a, a handle on the landscape so far over these first few weeks, are there any random teams nationwide that, that you've seen or read and you're like, man, this team is really, really fun and kind of surprising? Um, because I was listening to uh, our friend Richard Johnson's podcast, uh, Split, Zone Z Split Zone Duo, and they were talking about how explosive BYU was and how they're basically just going full air raid. And I watched their game, and sure enough, they're a full air raid, and they are whipping ass. Uh, so between BYU and between the Miami Hurricanes, led by ex-TCU player, or at least ex-TCU recruit Derek King, I can't necessarily say he was a player, um, those are two teams I'm really kind of just watching as a neutral enjoyer of college football. Uh, so are there any that kind of catch your eye? Yeah. So, um, I like, I like coastal Carolina a lot. Uh, they, they run a really weird offense. They are only 71st in SP plus, which is very not good, but, um, no. their defense is 94th and their offense is 45th overall. So that to me is, is a, is a hilarious split. Like they're, they're playing some really fun football. They kind of run this, um, uh, earmuffs if kids are listening, they, they run the gun bone. Uh, and so they, you know, shotgun and kind of just, they run the gun bone. Uh, the gun bone is the shotgun flex bone triple option. Didn't they call you gun bone in high school? No, they called me bulldog, but that's neither here nor there. Um, yeah. So, so I think that is a very fun team, um, overall and kind of saying like, Hey, how are they? Uh, you know, they just run a weird offense. They have funny colors. Um, they beat Kansas, like all sorts of those good things. I think the team I'm actually really keeping my eye on as much as I don't like this is, is, uh, university of Mississippi, uh, with Lane Kiffin there. Um, man, they just like, they were running two quarterbacks. They were doing all sorts of weird stuff and they're not going to win a lot of games, but they're going to be profoundly annoying, which is my favorite kind of football. It's like, if you can't beat me, you're going to have a really bad day. Or if I, if I can't beat you, you're going to have a really bad day beating me. Uh, that's like my, that's like my football aesthetic. And so uh, I think Kiffin swears nicely into that. I'm excited to watch this game. I, I don't think they'll win at all against Alabama, but I do think they'll score enough points to be very, very annoying to Alabama this weekend. What about you? I know Oh, go, well, well, I mean, yeah, Coastal and Coastal and Miami, or, or not Coastal, uh, BYU and Miami, yeah, um, those are mine. And, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, well, well and for, first off, two things. One, Coastal Carolina, I was there at the College World Series when they beat TCU, and that same week, Dustin Johnson, who was a Coastal Carolina alum, won the U.S. Open. Fun fact, I watched it in the press box when it happened. Great, great week to be a Shanna Clear. I was going to say uh, all 17 that, that alumni of Coastal Carolina are uh, and so happy that was that. The, and, and that was the year Josh Norman, another Chanticleer, had like his breakout year at cornerback for the Panthers. It, it was like the weirdest year for Coastal Carolina. Um, yeah, the other thing on Kithin too is, is, you know, Saban has an undefeated record against his former assistants, right? How funny would it be if Lane Kithin is the guy to come in Sign and just ruin up. the whole shit? Subscribe like, me to that list. And, and you know, it, it, it's either it's going to be like twenty-one to seventeen in the dumbest 
thing you've ever seen in your life. Like it, a, a penalty stops Alabama from scoring, and like Mac Jones throws the ball over his head somehow and fumbles. Like it is going to be the stupidest win in history, which is right on brand for Lane Kiffin. Uh, I, I can't wait for it. Yeah, I, oh I want to make God, a crude man. joke about the number of points on the upper end that Lane is going to score if it was a Don't shootout. Not, but, <laughs> uh, let, the, let the reader understand. Um, yeah. He'd, he'd score 10 touchdowns and miss an extra point. Uh, life is for the living sometimes. Um, okay, well, I don't – yeah, so, so there's a lot going on in, in, uh, just, just around all that. Um, but I, I think I'm ready to talk about Kansas State. Uh, this weekend, uh, TCU hosts uh, a home game. The number 63 in SP Plus Kansas State Wildcats, 59th on offense, 75th on defense, uh, are, are coming into town, Fort Worth. Uh, after the new revisions to SP Plus, TCU is 41st on offense, or excuse me, 41st overall. They're 72nd on offense, but they're up to 28th on defense. So their defense has improved uh, from their preseason projection, which is good. Um, the, the, the success, uh, aspect of that is really helping. And we'll talk about that here in a minute. The explosiveness is of course, mitigating some of that. I will say that TCU at 72nd on offense is very odd to me. They have moved the yeah. ball. Well, they haven't finished well. Um, and so that's kind of potentially obscuring some of their, uh, explosiveness plays because of the way that, um, I talked to, I talked to our friend Bill C who was on the podcast earlier, uh, just about preseason projections and how long they stay in the model. And he indicated to me that this weekend was kind of one of the big phase outs of the preseason projections. So I actually expect to see TCU's offense, which is way down by really bad projections because they um, weren't very good last year and they lost a lot of returning production. So in Bill's model, both of those are big negatives. Um, but, but so I, I actually expect with a decent performance against Kansas State and then because the model fills out, TCU should get way higher than 72nd in offense because I don't, I don't think that's a, a true indication of their signal at all. So SP Plus predicts TCU by 7.3 with a 66% win probability. Uh, my own kind of novel model that I'm still toying with has TCU 35 to 33. Those are more like power points than they are actually so, football points. But uh, so 60, 60% win probability for TCU on my model. Do you want to do a, a, a quick and dirty version of explain it like an idiot and then just explain to me how your model is and how it works and, and kind of what you're looking for um, once you get it all figured out? Yes. So the whole purpose of a model for me is not to predict the spread for betting purposes. It's to provide an accurate single number that gives us a combination of descriptive and forward looking relative comparisons of teams. Right. And so um, I won't go too nerdy on this, but, but most win probability models you see are Bradley Terry, um, which is just like a little, basically a formula to say, Hey, you put relative strength one here, you put, you put team strength two here, you do some math, no big deal. Um, or they take a, a normal distribution because the outcome of a game is, is normally distributed um, with a standard deviation of about 13.5 or 15.5, depending on if it's college pro or, or what you're looking at. Uh, and so they say, okay, normal distribution centered at the, centered at the spread. What's the probability that it's, uh, you know, the, the game outcome, if it's a random variable pulled from normal distribution, is greater than zero in this team's favor? I am not doing that. I, without getting, again, without getting too nerdy, and so I'm not going to use any fancy words here, uh, because also I'm still, you know, tweaking and messing with it. Basically, my philosophy on that is I want to know what are the sustainable aspects of success that a team has performed? Um, how potent does that make them on offense? How uh, suppressive does that make them on defense? And how does that translate to some sort of absolute quality? And so my win probability is a little bit more like a, um, it's a little bit more, it's good that I'm having to formalize this. It's, it's a little bit more like a relative to an average team against the other team. So let me break that down. Uh, TC's win probability versus Kansas State, 60.46. Uh, I think our friend Yell MK noted on Twitter, it's like, hey, how does it a 60% win probability if the projected margin is only two? Um, right. And so I'm actually saying, well, 60% win probability is more akin to saying TCU is like in the 60th percentile against Kansas State uh, of teams and team performances, 
which is going to correlate to a win 60% of the time. And then vice versa, uh, against, against TCU relative to average, Kansas State is actually going to be about the 40th percentile. Um, so okay. I owe all of you a formal uh, explanation. That was almost uh, utter nonsense working through it. But basically, my win probability is saying relative to what an average team would do, how strong, and how, how confident am I in you based on this model? So one, well, it's don't, almost, it, don't bet on these. Stop it. Don't start here with betting. <laughs> you will lose money. Use these to confirm your priors, but do not bet on these uh, alone. It's always good to uh, have to explain your formula for the first time fleshed out live on air in a podcast. Uh, so I'm glad I made you do that. Um, so I guess my question is, Parker, how, how worried should I be this weekend if I'm a TCU fan? Well, Grant, uh, two factors of the Kansas State offense. They rely on big plays, and they don't turn the ball over. Two factors of the TCU defense. They give up big plays, and they get really lucky with turnovers in key moments. So um, that's potentially a recipe for disaster. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, and, and you highlighted as well in your, uh, in your preview, and I did too, running back Deuce Vaughn uh, is absolutely terrifying to me. Uh, not the biggest fella, but number 22 at halfback. By the way, being named Deuce and wearing number 22, fantastic. Uh, congrats to him on his branding. Um, he shredded Texas Tech, and, and he, he does it not only running, but he, he does it by catching short passes in space and just shredding defenses from that point out. Yes, he totally does. He, he's somebody that kind of came on the scene and was unexpected and is, and is great. And as someone who is very much on team, running backs don't matter. I am thrilled to see a random person come in and contend for best running back in the Big 12. Yeah, but um, just, imagine if, just imagine if Chuba Hubbard was in this offense. Okay, the, the, the one Deuce Vaughn fact I know, <laughs> I, I, I've actually gotten into the habit of listening to uh, other people's podcasts and just saying like, hey, what, what are the Kansas State people saying about TCU? And I think I was listening to PowerCat, uh, which is a Rivals podcast, I believe. And they gave us uh, a fun fact about Deuce Vaughn that I just think is hilarious. So Deuce Vaughn wears number 22. Uh, linebacker Daniel Green wears number 22. He's a sophomore. He's a year older. Daniel Green's nickname is Deuce. But this year, because Deuce Vaughn has been so good, the team has stopped calling him Deuce, and they call him Daniel uh, because there can only be one Deuce on the team, and that's, and that's Deuce Vaughn. So I think that's, that's kind of incredible. just a, a, a fun level of, uh, of trivia and marginalia. Um, okay, yes. So I'm not going to go deep into this because I could just be reading stats off, but basically the entirety of Deuce Vaughn's production comes after the catch on – passes there's this play against Oklahoma where he runs this this angle so like basically uh Kansas State's lined up in a three by one uh 10 personnel so just a running back they basically flood everybody out on the right side just deep get the get the safeties and the cornerbacks out of there um they run the far receiver kind of runs like a, almost a mesh route just like a little slant yep uh but 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 a curved slant you know it's a technical term a curved slant um, and it runs it over the middle and the linebacker just for Oklahoma just takes a half step forward and Vaughn just runs like an angle route, like Madden 2013. I'm running HB angle with Mark Ingram and I'm going to win yep. by a hundred like that route. Uh, and, and Skylar Thompson grant just, I could make this throw. It's, it's four yeah. yards as the sparrow flies. There's no horizontal, whatever. He's just, it's almost like one of those awful tight end pop passes where the tight end, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the, the fullback like gets the ball and then just like shoots it like a basketball. Um, it's the Tebow pass. And that's all he has to do. Vaughn's in space. And then he's insane at missing tackles. And so there are two guys who try to make a tackle in open space and Vaughn is shifty enough to get away from him. And then it's off to the races and he's so fast. So that worries me as a TCU fan, because the, the, the skills that are going to be there um, are, are twofold. Covering a running back out of the backfield, which TCU does not do well. And Cannot then two, do. tackling in space, which hasn't been amazing. Uh, and so I'm, I'm a little bit worried about Vaughn. It hasn't been amazing. I'm more confident in TCU's ability to tackle in space than I am to cover a running back. Um, oh, for, for sure. I think, I think I mean, like, like Wallow, without a doubt. Wallow, Winters, and uh, LVZ have had like really bad – tackling performances so far I think some of that is volume but also I I expect that to improve I do too and and but you're right that's the area that kind of concerns me is who best fits on that run or, or, or 
sorry, who best fits on covering that running back? I, I think you'd probably put D. Winters there, but he's been so good at playing that kind of spy role and just kind of hitting guys, you know, when they cross the line of scrimmage and, and not letting him get anything out of the backfield that I don't know if you can waste him on covering a running back. I, I mean, it just it, – TC's going to have to make hard choices to stop Deuce Vaughn. So and I, I guess that's probably the point of the offense, but – I think anyway, so, ahead. and I think that it's it's interesting to me because the trade-off in the last two games for TCU has been, is the mobile quarterback going to kill us or are we going to give up a big play on the pass? Right, which I'll say this as well. In previous years, the mantra has been, we'll let the mobile quarterback kill us. Yes. I mean, Brock Purdy, Sam Ellinger, Jalen Hurts, all those guys have just shredded TCU. Skylar Thompson did a little bit last year, honestly. Spencer Sanders. And Spencer um, Sanders, and, and but this year, at, at least through two games, it feels like they're making a more concerted effort to stop that from happening. I think Ellinger got loose on one play last week, but for the most part, he was kind of hemmed in a little on his running game. Yeah, I'm curious to see if they make that same choice this week. So I almost wonder if they're not going to spy Vaughn as opposed to spying. Well, so one, we're, uh, we should have said this at the top. Skylar Thompson's probably going to play. I don't have inside info. I'm just hearing Chris Kleiman yeah. say like, you know, there was no fracture and hmm, he was limited, but we'll see. Like that sounds like gamesmanship. That sounds like Skylar Thompson. He's going to play. Um, yeah, and so I'm not as worried about Skylar Thompson's legs. That's not to discount his legs uh, objectively, but relatively to what TCU's seen, he's no Purdy. He's no Ellinger. Um, and he, so he, he's not, but he made a couple really good throws against tech and what was dropped in the end zone. Hmm. Uh, he, he had a great ball to Malik Knowles that Knowles just straight up dropped in the back of the end zone on a post route, evaded two defenders, great throw. And just, you know, it ended an incompletion because his receiver dropped it. Um, I, he has improved. I've seen him rated as like the fifth best quarterback in the big 12. And that's not true like objectively not true, but I do think he has improved. Yeah. So I, I think that again, you've got to think about like, what do you want out of your quarterback? Um, and Skylar Thompson right now is 19th overall in QBR, but he is, Oh my gosh. I just sorted by passing and he is, um, he's, he's 35th in passing EPA or passing contribution to QBR. So like, Again, there's only, what, 70, 75 quarterbacks yeah. he played. So, like, he's done well. Uh, a lot of his value in passing is also, you know, short routes and getting the ball where it needs to go, which absolutely, that's great. Also, he's had a couple of big plays, um, specifically one against Oklahoma that I think was like a 60-yard pass. And literally, Oklahoma's corner just stood there. He just well didn't do anything. Yeah. And – Skylar Thompson was like, oh, I guess I'm going to throw it to this receiver who is very wide open and no one is around him. The receiver turned around, stopped, caught it, and then turned around and proceeded to run to the end zone. So um, I, it's not that he doesn't have a good arm. It's that he's not like forcing balls into windows against coverage. It's that Kansas State's sure. offense under Kleiman is really designed to find your weaknesses and get guys open. And they're, they're scheming guys open and, and Thompson is above average, uh, available to kind of make, make hay there. No, I, I think that's completely fair. And that's also what kind of worries me is that, look, the four two five Gary's defense are the players that are at it. It's a good defense. It's just that it does have its vulnerabilities. And as we've talked about, defending running backs in the passing game, defending mobile quarterbacks, all that, those are the weaknesses. Now, I will say that Kansas State has not played a good defense this year. Um, Oklahoma can't tackle anybody, and tech is tech. So this will be the best defense Kansas State's played all year. Um TCU's D is above average and has had a couple of rough games to start the season. And yet still, you know, they're one and one and probably should be two and up. So I do think it's going to be a little bit more difficult for Kansas state, at least because it'll be the toughest defense they've played. Yeah. So, I mean, and realistically TCU's had like rough, you know, five plays, uh, right. Like right. 65% of TCU's rushing yards allowed this season. So that's uh, 239 of 364 yards allowed have come on five attempts, five of 52 attempts. Yeah. So it is entirely big plays. And, 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 you know, as much as we like to joke about TCU have a big play problem, it hasn't been this bad ever. Um, It hasn't been over a two game stretch this consistently, Hey, we're giving up big plays. Um, And so, so that leads me to think that there are things to correct. Um, 
Ellinger, you know, Ellinger and Texas didn't make the same big plays as Brock Purdy and Brees Hall did, where clearly there was something going on with the safeties. Uh, and so I, I think I have reason to believe that it's going to be better. Yes. So on that note, uh, we're going to do Twitter questions later, but this folds in really well. Uh, Hornfrog86 on Twitter asks, what is the big play threat level that we'll see from Kansas State? And I think it is really just Deuce Vaughn finding a crease. Right. So I, I, I don't, don't want to. I don't want to undersell. Uh, I I do not want to undersell at all in any way, shape, or form. Uh, Briley Moore, the tight end. The the. Yes. I don't think yeah. I don't think he wears double a double zero. zero. I think he wears a single zero. Yeah. Um, which is hilarious. And if I was a college football player, I would wear zero regardless of what position I was at. Um, I think zero's dumb. Actually, for the record, I've always hated that. I think it's because Carolina had a really really bad backup center that wore zero. It was just garbage. But anyway, that's not well, a good there. Well, to be fair, if I was a college football player, I would be a 390-pound nose tackle wearing double zero. <laughs> so thank you. So that's okay. That's good. Um, that's good. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, uh, Bradley Moore, uh, he's been targeted 13 times and mostly uh, in the middle of the seat field. So he's nine for nine on targets between the numbers and closer than 20 yards. That's like tight end wheelhouse. That's like the seam that's, that's ends right over the middle. That's coming between linebackers and safeties. Um, and, and so I think that actually um, he's going to kind of be their like consistent receiver, their kind of possession receiver, and they're going to go for uh, Chebaston Taylor. I asked about that pronunciation. Mm-hmm. It's Sebastian with a CH. So it's Wait, Chebastian so, Okay. I, I saw it on the game too. I was very confused. Okay. Chebastian. All right. And uh, yeah. Uh, and Malik Knowles have 24 uh, targets, but Knowles has only caught like, one out of five of passes on his way. Very, very I, I don't, low rate. I don't want to disparage the kid. I, I, I've i seen better hands, is all I'll say. And I know saying that means he's going to completely burn TCU this, this game. But, I, I, yeah, I know what you mean. He, he does get open, I will say that. But and, we'll and Thompson has the arm strength to find an open receiver downfield. I don't know that he's going to make, you know, an amazing I, maybe, throw. Maybe. I, the more I'm thinking about it, do you remember the Hail Mary he threw the first <laughs> week of the season? That that went twenty yards. Boy, do I! <laughs> I I just I just complimented Skylar Thompson for for like five minutes. I can say this now. That's the worst throw I've ever seen. Yeah. Well, there was there was yeah. like this weird. Well, and we'll and we'll get to some negatives of the of the offense for Kansas State here in a second. But like, yeah. there was like this weird kind of uh, conversation I had with myself that was like, well, wow, Skylar Thompson's really good. So like him beating out Alex Delton, maybe Delton was better than we thought. <laughs> And then I went back no, and looked. No. And I'm like, no, never mind. Uh, <laughs> no, that's not true. But never, Thompson's never been good. He's been serviceable. He's been a great quarterback for Chris Kleiman. I think that the, the, the way to kind of figure out what's going on with this offense, Grant, is to look at really their one game where everything went wrong. So their offense wasn't great the first half against Oklahoma. It wasn't great the whole game against Texas Tech. It was good in moments. Um, but against, against Arkansas State, they were just – they were bad. And so mm-hmm. I picked out three stats kind of um, in the Arkansas State game that I think are, are pretty informative as to where TCU can do well. So one, uh, Kansas State was one out of 11 on third downs against Arkansas State. That's a 9% conversion rate. I think they only had, like, and I'm not making this up, three completed third downs going into the Tech game. They shared that sound in the broadcast early on. Um, they they are, are not good on third down. They are 20, they, 26.9 conversion rate all season on third downs, which is uh, about 70th in the nation. Um, and 73% of Kansas State's uh, first downs come from plays on first and second downs. And so you'd be tempted to think, oh, they, they get a lot of first downs on first and second downs. That's just an indictment of like how bad their third down offense is. So they're not very successful. Um, I think I think if I if I have this number correct, Kansas State is. Uh, oh, I totally thought I had it right here. They are 47 percent success rate on the pass, thirty three percent success rate on the rush. So not very successful at all. They're finding themselves in third downs a lot, and they are not converting at all. So I think that's one big opportunity because TCU's third down defense this year and historically is excellent. Um, they will they will let you get the big play on first and second down, but on third down they they they're going to stop you a lot and not let you extend that drive. So if Kansas State doesn't have drive extending ability, if Kansas State can't successfully consistently successfully move the ball, 
then then I think they're going to be in a position of third and long a lot. Which again, if if you hypothetically had a team that had an anemic pass rush, you'd want to be in a long of third and long situations to give them the most advantageous ad, uh, opportunity to one pin their ear back, but also two to uh, to blitz strategically. Well, and I'm glad you said this, Parker, because this is a great segue to the point I wanted to bring up about the weak part, the weak points of Kansas State's offense, which is their offensive line. Uh, you look at the left side of the line. First off, Kansas State is basically replacing every guy up front. Um, and, and, and not to pick on a kid, I'm just reading stats here, uh, the, the PFF grades. Uh, there was sophomore tackle, left tackle, okay, Tory Leviston, maybe Kai Tory Leviston. Uh, his pass block grades from PFF, 33 22.1 and against Texas Tech 0.9. Uh, that's not good. And their left guard, uh, whose name escapes me, but I will have it in about five seconds. Um, uh, sure, golly. Uh, Josh Rivas was a 22.2 in pass blocking against uh, Texas Tech. So that side of the line offers a lot of like exploitable chances for even a team with as you said an anemic pass rush i agree uh so overall 14 allowed pressures and two sacks for kansas state in the arkansas state game which was a 36.8 pressure rate their pressure rate for the whole season is 43 percent grand on almost one of two dropbacks their quarterback is is having to deal with a defender in his face um yep. And so they, they do mitigate that by getting the ball out of Thompson's hands quickly to Vaughn or to uh, Briley Moore. Uh, but it, it is an issue where, they, you know, if, if there was a game where your bad pass rush was going to find itself, was going to look deep down at its heart, have a spirit quest, uh, and, and kind of find itself and establish an identity, this would be the game to do it. Right. And, I, and especially if they can do it, if TCU can rush the passer with – only four, that would be outstanding. Because as you said, they get the ball out of Thompson's quickly. And as anyone who's played Madden knows, that HB angle route is perfect when the linebackers blitz. Um, so if they can just get pressure with four guys and still are able to spy with Winters and Wallow, like that is a absolute game breaker for TCU. If they could just kind of make Thompson uncomfortable and force him to try to make throws to covered receivers uh, quickly without you know being able to set his feet and all that. Yeah, and, and I'm not an X's and O's guy, but um, I do think TCU, you, you pointed this out, and then I went back and watched the Texas game and, and, and saw this. TCU got burned when they brought like a corner on the blitz. Yeah. Um, and so just be a little smarter there, I think, is what I would do. I think yeah. I'd be comfortable with either of TCU's corners playing man against um, either of, of Kansas State's leading receivers. I mm -hmm. think keeping guys in the box, I think – uh, you know, kind of bodying the tight end close off the off the line and keeping an eye on the running back uh, and, and giving yourself kind of that insulation. So, like, instead of, you know, hey, Garrett Wallow's got to make a tackle in the open field or our Darius Washington can make that tackle 20 yards downfield, if you can find a way to kind of give yourself a little bit of redundancy over the middle, just knowing how concentrated uh, Kansas State's attack is over the middle right. and how elusive Vaughn is, I think that would be really smart. Right, and and this is a, this is an absolute cliche, but I'm going to use it anyway. More than any other game this year, perhaps, like TCU just has to be disciplined on defense. Like, don't get over aggressive. I, I think talent wise, TCU's defense could compete with anyone in the country, and I think they have the advantage talent wise against Kansas State's offense. Not to impugn Deuce Vaughn or anyone on the Wildcat side, but if they just stay disciplined, play their game, and don't try to do anything out of the ordinary, like rush the corners too much and all that, like they should be able. Not to stop completely, but to limit the Kansas State offense, I think. Just stay disciplined. Yeah, so, so I think with Kansas State, the, kind of, the name of the game is make sure that they don't uh, – that they're not more successful than they usually are. So keep them to their standard level of success, which is pretty low. And then when Kansas inevitably does have a big play, because Deuce Vaughn is a fast player, he's a shifty player, he is a good football player, in space he is going to make you miss tackles, have redundancies and put, put a ceiling on that. Make those yep. 20, 25, 30 big yard uh, plays, not, you know, 40, 50, 60 big, big, uh, 40, 50, 60 yard big plays. So I think, I think those are kind of my two uh, big, big pillars is, 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 you know, you've got to shut down third downs because they're not very successful. I think you've got to take advantage of this offensive line. My third pillar there is um, the Wildcats were only averaging 2.3 yards per rushing attempt against Arkansas State. Again, just saying, hey, when, when everything was going absolutely wrong, 
what was happening. Um, they are averaging point plus, so positive 0.255 EPA on the pass. So a quarter point grant in expectation every pass. They are negative 0.153 uh, EPA per rush. Wow. And so wow. that wouldn't be a huge problem. Grant, they rush on 60% of their early downs. Yeah, yeah. They are so and, committed and it, to it, and it is just killing them. So, like, let, so TCU absolutely has to stop the rush. TCU has struggled with that this year. They've got to stop the rush because Kansas State is going to do it a lot, and that's an easy way for TCU's defense to kind of impose negative value on Kansas State's offense. I agree. Uh, shout out to Kansas State, though. They do run the diamond pistol, which, God bless, my favorite formation in all college football. Uh, I need Andrew Spawn is very good out of it. I need to create a new stat that is runs not in the pistol formation, like early down rushing rate outside the <laughs> pistol, because you could run or uh, you could run the diamond, you know, every early down, and I'd be fine with it. I am too. Uh, okay, Parker, do you want to talk about the Kansas State defense just quickly? Uh, I only have one note on this, uh, just something I was impressed with uh, from the game. And that is that uh, the linebackers flood the flats really well. Um, so linebackers and also defensive end Wyatt Hubert played standing up quite a bit on the edge. Um, and he could crash down the tackle. He could help cover. And they did a really, really good job of limiting tech on short passes because everyone flooded to the ball and, like, you know, made plays. It's hard to evaluate because Alan Bowman was out. So tech probably didn't make the same kind of downfield passes they normally would, but I was impressed by that with the, with the Kansas State defense. Oh, darn. TCU's going to have to throw the ball downfield now. Shoot. I know. It's a real shame. Let me <laughs> Did tell you, know, you. you know Max Duggan is second only to Zach Wilson in completion percent on balls 20 yards downfield this year? You can tell me any stat about Max Duggan, and I believe it at this point. Did you know Max Duggan eats a can of spinach every morning? <laughs> um, okay, my biggest thing about the Kansas State he's, defense. He, first off, hold on, hold on. No, he's, from on Iowa. He, he, he's from Iowa. He eats a can of corn every morning. Let's just make, make sure we get it right. So, so I hear. Um, the, the thing that I'm really interested in about the Kansas State defense is, like, Kansas' offense has no turnovers. That's not an exaggeration. They literally don't turn the ball over. Uh, yep. Which makes sense. Uh, you know, a lot of low variance, low risk plays that turn into big plays. They're not, you know, Skyler Thompson's not trying to force the ball where he can't get it. Um, and so really smart. But as a result, um, they're 11th nationally in opponent field position. Uh, opponents are starting on average on the 26 yard line. So they're facing a long field. Uh, I'm a little bit worried about that because half, so, so three of TCU's drives have started with a field position uh, on average of 43 yards, right? So let me, let me say that a little better, not like a crazy person, but basically TCU's had a short field on half of their touchdown drives, and they've kicked field goals uh, on a lot of their scoring opportunities. They're going to have to move the ball 60, 70 yards to score touchdowns against Kansas State. And we've seen that TCU's really, really good at moving the ball 45 yards, but we haven't seen them be able to like, kind of punch in those last few yards in the end zone. Well, and I think that's because of the red zone. Okay. I, I, I was not going to talk about play calling this week. I think it's because the red zone play calling is a little frustrating. But I think between the 20s, TCU was really efficient and good. I don't know if the numbers bear it out, but that's what the eye test shows. It so, absolutely does. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe it's because they haven't had the opportunity to move it, you know, 65 yards. Now, they may move it 65 yards and kick a field goal anyway, but I do think the offense definitely has that capability. They, they do, and, and realistically about Kansas State, they're allowing 4.79 points per scoring opportunity. And so when you cross the 40 on average, you're, you're getting you know, uh, 4.79 points, which means you're getting, you're getting more touchdowns than field goals uh, just about. And so that's encouraging for TCU, similar to the offensive line where, hey, you're still going to have to execute, but the, the meat is there, the opportunity is there for you to kind of correct some of these issues that you've had with finishing drives. Because um, Kansas State is just not very good at, at, at stopping you. Um, realistically, they've gotten lucky with turnovers. They don't turn the ball over themselves. And so that really pushes field position in their favor. Um, they're allowing a 50% success rate on rushes and a 46% success rate on passes. TCU is going to be, be able to move the ball efficiently. And that's good because one of the biggest keys to getting explosive plays is having a lot of opportunities to run plays because there is some kind of random component to big plays. And so if TCU can just kind of move the ball efficiently, try and exploit matchups and, and get that downfield attack, um, I think someone like Quentin Johnson can have a really good day. It's not that Kansas State's 
secondary is bad. It's just, they're just not stopping the pass at all. Right. And TCU has, you know, multiple receivers of, of, of different styles. And it's going to be really hard if you're already bad against the pass to kind of adjust to, to a D, uh, an offense that's this multiple. I agree. Okay. Uh, do you want to do Twitter questions and then do predictions? Let's Best do Twitter questions. Case. I'm going to pull those up. Right. Uh, I've, I've got them pulled up. If you want oh. me to just wrap, we could rapid fire. Rapid fire. Let's do them. All right. Uh, our friend at Yell MK asks, if TCU holds Deuce to under blank all-purpose yards, the Frogs will win. Give me 125. 125, I think, is is pretty good. I had a tweet today that looked at his usage and, and offensive and defensive yards. And, you know, he had – versus Texas Tech – he had uh, 190 yards versus Oklahoma. He had 160 yards. And then versus Arkansas State, he only had like 70 yards. So I think that line is, is actually a clean 100. Um, because that okay. means if he's under 100, that means that he did not have that 75, 80-yard big play touchdown that's plagued TCU so much. Because he's going to get so much usage. He's going to get such a high target share that he's going to accumulate volume. But if TCU keeps him under 100, I think that that really means they didn't let him get that three missed tackles, uh, take it to the house kind of play. Right. right. Yeah. Uh, at D, uh, Daniel Duncan at D. Duncan Soul, is there a team in the league that throws more to running backs, fullbacks, and tight ends at Kansas State? And also, why are we not using the pistol more? Daniel, buddy, if I knew, I would tell you. Okay, uh, I actually we are thought both of a big pistol advocates. I actually thought of a good question or a good answer to that. So, one, I, I think Kansas State uh, probably targets running backs and tight ends about as much as anybody for sure. Um, in terms of the pistol, here's the thing: TCU's an air raid school again. You can't you don't yeah. you don't you don't do the pistol on the air raid uh, because you need to be able to move that deploy that running back to um, either a light box and run an audible or shift him out or. Um, you know, kind of orient the field towards field and boundary in a little bit of a different way. And so I think the pistol kind of fixes you to quarterback movement. And that's much more conducive to kind of this like power option uh, base, which I really like, but TC is doing zone base for that zone read. You really need the running back coming one way and the quarterback going the other. And so just kind of logistically, we're not using the pistol a ton. We are using it some, but we're not using it because our base is kind of this air raid zone read, which it, it has been in the past with, with, uh, less commitment. So I just say this, the commitment to the air raid is stronger this year. Um, also Daniel Duncan, uh, Daniel Duncan soul. If you have music, Hit us up, dude. We'll, we'll throw some on the yes, podcast. Please. Uh, uh, yes, please. Yeah. Let's, let's hear some. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, Iowa State definitely also uses their tight ends a ton, especially Charlie Kolar. And also, Parker, uh, take this off the line, but we're going to invent the pistol air raid uh, this offseason. And uh, we'll, going we'll to. have an entire playbook. Yeah, well, listen. I have a composition um, notebook with a lot of doodles <laughs> in it. So. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Charlie Hoagie, I hope I pronounced that right, at the real Hoagie. Can Max hang 100 if we air it out? Buddy, Max can hang 200 if we air it out. That, that man can do anything. Okay, um, honest to God, though, what is the most points TCU could score this weekend? If this everything weekend, went right? 56. I, that, that was kind of my number. I thought about 45 just because out of, out of sheer decency, Gary Patterson doesn't like to score 50 points. Uh, unless, unless he has Texas. to. <laughs> yeah, well, unless, unless it's Texas attacker. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I, I don't think I – think, I think if TCU got past 45, they would be pulling the reins uh, pretty, pretty hard. So I, I think if TCU broke 50, something weird, weird happened. Which I'm all in for. Uh, at the 1012 podcast, can we officially start calling this game the Delton Bowl? Shout out to Solid Verbal. Uh, yeah, I'm fine with that. Although, I'm, actually, I'm no, 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 I'm not fine. I, don't, yeah. I, 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 don't, I want to pretend that never happened. Very, very uh, opposed, no. yeah. Very opposed. And then last question uh, from our friend Will Taylor at Taylor12W. It's a good question. TCU is just 15-11 since 2016 at home. Why did the Frogs not protect the Carter as well as they used to? And would losing to Kansas State qualify as a horrible home loss? Uh, he cites West Virginia last year and Tech in 2018 and 2016 as examples. Um, I think – that that is a function of scheduling and that we've just kind of had the cycle of you get teams in up years at home and you get teams in down years away. So that's just kind of been how it is. Also TCU has not been very good in recent years. They've been a middling team, so they're not going to protect the Carter as much as they normally would. And also uh, Parker, you may have stats that bear this out differently. I don't 
I, I personally don't value home in a way as much. I don't know if your stats bear that out. But. So what I was going to say, yes, if I were going to uh, draw a bracket, uh, an FCS, FCS playoff style bracket, 24 teams for uh, every TCU team from 2007 until 2020, the bottom three seeds would be 2016, 2018, and 2019 in, in some way, shape, or form. So the answer to that one is TCU is bad. And if you're bad, you lose more. And if you lose more, you lose more at home. So that, 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 I don't mean that to sound condescending or anything. That's just like, that's the reality. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. Um, I think there is a conversation to be had about attitude, and I hate it. I don't love it. I am not an old person saying that these young kids need to whatever. I'm saying that it is a lot easier to be 2009. Uh, well, even then they weren't playing like huge opponents at home. But like, well, here's my example. My example is like early 2000s Southern Miss was the most hate and ass college football team of all time. They were like, we will play you anywhere. And if you come to Hattiesburg, we're going to whoop your ass. And if we go there, it's going to be hard. Like we're going to play you hard. We're probably going to lose. TCU kind of had some of that muster and then being in the big 12, having a little success and then falling flat, I think actually um, kind of got the whole program. And this is speaking entirely from a fan. I'm not blaming players. I'm not talking about individual 19 year old athletes saying from a fan perspective, kind of conditioned us to think a little bit more about, Hey, we're working in cyclical fashion so it's like one year is going to be bad. The next year is going to be a little bit better. The next year should be pretty good. And that fourth year should be great. That's kind of the new norm for TCU being in the power five, just because year in, year out, we're not going to have these amazing talents um, and not going to be able to gloss over opponents to, you know, the tune of 10 to 11 wins every year. Like we were, even if our development wasn't great. And so that is a fundamental shift. It does stink. I do love protect the Carter. I feel like there, there was something about TCU's identity that has been lost because stepping onto the field of A.M.G. Carter is not that big a deal to opposing teams anymore. Um, I, I don't know if that's the expansion. I don't know if that's the game day experience, which we can have three beers and talk about that this offseason and my thoughts on that. Oh, we can. Yeah. Um, basically, I blame Dem TCU boys. Uh, Protect the Carter has been dead since Dem TCU boys were in the end zone. And, uh, and that's my serious answer. Uh, I also have thoughts about the game day experience that I will uh, not say on this podcast. Um, okay, great. Parker, best case, worst case for this weekend. Again, we always go negative to positive to end on a good note. So what is your worst case scenario? Uh, Vaughn does what running backs do against TCU, and he gets not only uh, you know that angle route for a touchdown, but also a couple outside zone, which I have some, some graphs in my um, – preview about that I I think Vaughn just has a day in the first half and then TCU overcorrects and then you know Knowles and and our friend uh, uh, Bryson Moore um, really just kind of benefit from TCU keying into to uh, Vaughn and so that overcorrection kind of is like oh it's the counterpunch in the second half that's worth um and then TCU says, well, hey, we're playing Kansas State. We're going to man ball and we're going to run a bunch and they're really inefficient on the run. And so, it, you know, to the tune of, you know, 24-16, 24-13 Kansas State uh, in just a really ugly kind of frustrating game. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a repeat of last year in the worst case scenario. I think Kansas State gets a special teams play. They blocked a punt against Texas Tech. They could do it again against TCU. I think they – like you said, Vaughn goes off. Um, the offense just kind of sputters. The pass rush, which is good. We didn't talk about it, and, and that's just because it makes you nervous. But I think the pass rush gets to Duggan, and, and the offense just can't get anything going for TCU. Um, and it's, like you said, 24-17 and awful. But the good side, the best-case scenario, is that the linebackers do their job. Vaughn has some successes but does completely go off. And the corners just straight-up lock down the wide receivers. Um Washington and Merrick uh, are great in the safeties, but Noah Daniels and Travis Hodges Tomlinson were unbelievable last week. I think it was three catches on 12 targets against them, which is just putting your opponents in like Alcatraz. And they could definitely, if they could do that against Texas wide receivers, they could do it against Kansas State. And then on the offense, yeah, you're right. Kansas State's going to shut down the flats with their linebackers and their defensive ends, but that's great. We'll throw downfield and Duncan throws their four touchdowns and DC wins at a romp. I, that is, it's possible. So it's the best case scenario. I, I actually can see a world where um, 
TCU's corners are so good. Uh, I think they are. I really yeah. think they're good. I think Noah Daniels is underrated. Um, like, I think everyone thinks Noah Daniels is good, and I still think he's underrated. So I, I, I do believe there's a world where TCU's defense just absolutely shuts down Kansas State. Kansas State is lower in efficiency than they were uh, the last couple weeks uh, and just have this kind of anemic offense, and they don't get many opportunities to get big plays because, again, big plays are, are – often a function of volume and, and, and chances. And so I think if TCU can kind of limit the success to a point where, hey, it's third and nine, you are not giving the ball to Deuce Vaughn three yards in front of the line of scrimmage. Like that's not happening. If you get them in kind of those negative situations, Kansas State struggles, uh, you get a turnover, you, for the love of God, avoid a weird special things, uh, special teams thing. Every Kansas State TCU game the last like five years has had just some kind of baffling special teams thing for one, one, one team or the other. So you avoid that. You take care of the ball because Kansas state's going to take care of the ball. You limit their efficiency in such a way. They don't get that big play. I think TCU could drop 40 easy uh, here. Yeah. All right. We'll put a number on it. Parker, what do you got? So uh, again, I always go back to my preview because we, we, I talk myself into so many things during this, uh, <laughs> during this conversation. Um, I think I'm, I, I don't love TCU minus 10. That's a line I've seen. That, that's too much. I think TCU 30, Kansas State 26, uh, give or take huh. a couple points on either side. I think that's uh, a lot of field goals for TCU and for Kansas State. Okay. I, uh, I'll also use my preview. I think TCU just can't shoot itself in the foot early. And as long as the Frogs get the offense going uh, in the first quarter, I think it's 31-17 TCU. I like it. I think that's like a, a better case scenario of my ver- yeah. yeah, I think that yeah. It's I think just, that's like yeah, a better yeah. like best case scenario of mine. Yeah. Two more things work out than what you had basically. And thirty one seventeen TCU. But there you go. I love it. I love it. I'm here for it. I think I think there's so many things that I could um talk myself into, but yeah, I I, I love that kind of like TCU ceiling is probably the thirties. Uh it just depends like do they give that big play up to Kansas State or not. Yeah, exactly. Also, I should point out, I picked the Texas game correctly, and you did not. So Proud of you. I didn't. Take I was that. very take worried that. about it. Fleming, eat Look, it. man, I'm, I've been wrong before, and let me tell you, I will be wrong <laughs> again. So, um, all right. Well, yeah, if you're, if you're listening to this, I can't imagine that you're not, one, following uh, Grant McGalliard spelled like it sounds with all those vowels on Twitter, uh, or me at Stats of War. More importantly, you got to sign up for the newsletter. They're just really good content. Uh, it, you know, uh, buy us a beer and you just get some of the best TCU content on, on the internet. And that's not to say that other places don't have good TCU content. I'm just saying uh, the particular mix of stats and, and stories that we have are just, just uh, excellence bar none. If I can be so um, bold as to say that and confident about that, you, you need this information before you watch the game. Uh, some people are commenting on the sub stack. I think that's super cool. Let's take it off Twitter. Let's talk over there. Um, and know that if you're already a subscriber, one, we're super grateful for you. Um, we're working hard for you. And, and you have an open line of communication, man. DM, email, uh, comment on the, on the newsletter, anything. Uh, just holler at us if you have questions, concerns, things you want us to look into, feedback, all that. Um, we're, we're here for you too. We know that you giving money to someone is, is a commitment and, and we want to return that commitment uh, to you for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Like the fact that people like subscribe to this is awesome. And I'll, I'll brag on my podcast and writing partner here. Parker wrote like 3000 words today for no reason. And like, you'll enjoy all 3000. So uh, subscribe to the Substack, man, subscribe to the newsletter. It really is worth it. Uh, it's fun. It's entertaining. And it's also like the most informative, uh, specialized TCU stats out there. I mean, I know it's kind of a, it's a competitive small market, but I, I think we do a really good job. So we'd love to have you join us. And, and uh, it, you know, the conversation's only getting better and we're only going to put out better content from here going forward. Absolutely. And Grant and I would hundred percent win a decathlon uh, uh, competing against every other TCU site on the internet. So I, uh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 I'm the slowest person I know, like not to digress. I'm the slowest <laughs> human being. I know. <laughs> Well, well, you can do the thrilling events. That's fine. Okay, that's um, fine. That's fine. Cool. All right, well, we'll be on Twitter. We're talking about the game. Um, if you've enjoyed this podcast, like, rate, review, subscribe, all that nonsense, just so that everyone who might enjoy this uh, would be able to know about it. Other than that, 
we'll, we'll be here this weekend seeing what happens in the weird game against Kansas State. Go Frogs. Go Frogs. <laughs>